Debbie Salazar today. That's all right. We called up the 10. We called up the righty in his place. Always. Not a substitution. A reinforcement. Mauricio Pedraza, Matt, how you doing? I'm doing well, Herc. I believe Juan Carlos Osorio should be the producer of this show because he likes the rotation system. Uh, <laughs> but the good news is Sevi will join us later on the show. We'll also have uh, the Mexican Soccer Federation president, Mikel Arriola, on a very, very hot topic. Herc, we have a full show. So why don't, do, why don't we get things started with the Mexican national team playing against Honduras on a friendly match in Atlanta in front of 70,000 fans, Herc. Just FYI, that's the largest crowd for a soccer match since the start of the pandemic. Scoreless draw, and you see the numbers right there. That's, that is the third winless game in a row for Tata Martino. It's not looking good, Herc. So is it time to hit the panic button with Tata Martino? Listen, you know way better than uh, all of us here what the Mexican press is like. You've lived it. You are part of the Mexican press. This orbit, this atmosphere that you uh, always feel, you know what it's going to be like. It's panic button today. But don't panic if you're an L3 fan. There's no need to panic. I understand. Three games winless, three goals for. I'm sorry, two goals for, three goals against. Yes, uh, and we could all say that Costa Rica, United States, what is Mexico, and Honduras, on paper, are the four most difficult teams in this confederation, in CONCACAF. Here's the worrying part. That rotation, those three right there opponents, we saw three goals against, two goals for. The U.S. played against the same, and they went winless. <laughs> they had eight goals for, two goals against, picked up a trophy in the process, uh, absolutely flying with the younger team. So if you're a fan, is it time to panic? No, because at the end of this tunnel is Raul Jimenez. At the end of this tunnel may be what is the health of Raul, way may, way be uh, Javier Hernandez, Funes Mori, etc., etc. The team will get better. And right now on paper, you've got the most prime players, the players in their prime, in their better moments in the confederation. So no time to panic as of yet. Okay, Herc, here's why I would at least start looking at the panic button with Tata Martino. This was the first time in a long, long time that he had the majority of his stars players available. And it's not only, it's not only the results, the lack of results, it's the bad performances. And I know against the U.S. men's national team, Mexico didn't play poorly, but if you play a good game against a team that's trying to find their personality, their rhythm, mm -hmm. and you still lose the game. It has to be worrisome. So, okay, I'm with you. I'm not ready to hit the panic button, but at least I got to know where is that panic button sitting right now because here comes the Gold Cup, and I know both the U.S. men's national team and Mexico, they won't have their star players or, or their ideal roster, but hey, you know the, the Mexican media as well. You played in Mexico for many, many years. If things start going south, if Tata Martino is unable to deliver that trophy to Mexico, you know people are going to start asking questions. Is, is, is this going to compromise his position? Maybe not. But you don't want that kind of noise for the World Cup qualifiers. Do you agree with me that at least You're that will 100 force Tata Martino right. Listen, to win the Gold Cup? No time to press the panic button. But you know the Mexican Federation, the hand is sitting over the button. They've been known for these impulse decisions. Victor Manuel Bucetich, who came in for Chepo de la Torre and was 2014 in that failed campaign by Chepo de la Torre, he was there a week. They pulled the plug and went to Miguel Herrera to get them over the hump to that 2014 World Cup. So they are known for making those rash decisions. 
I, like you, think Mexico won't have their A team, if you will, because they've made what is the Olympics a priority. And the U.S. is going to let the European stars go off into their preseason. So it's going to be a majority MLS uh, Gold Cup squad. If that's the context and Mexico doesn't have a good outing against this U.S. men's national team, panic button time. Yeah, I have one more thing on this topic, and it actually plays on Tata Martino's favor. There is no other manager, head coach in Mexican soccer right now that can go like, okay, if Tata's not the one, I am the one. There's no other candidate right now. So usually there's added pressure when there's another name in the lineup or at least waiting for his name to be called up. So right now there's no Miguel Herrera. There's no Tuca Ferretti. There was no, like, in other times, Chepo de la Torre or even Victor Manuel Bucetich. Right now, there's no other coach that Tata Martino should go and think, huh, if things go south for me, then this guy comes up. There's no name right now for that kind of a conversation. Um, lastly, I have one last question for you on the Mexican national team performance. Uh, is there anything in particular that concerns you? Did, you? did you see something specific that makes you go, this is bad, and Tata Martino should really put attention on this. Well, besides the evident fact that they can't score goals, that since Raul Jimenez's injury, they can't put the ball in the back of the net. Besides that, I think for the first time in its history, because Tata Martino, we haven't noticed, but his team is very suspect in defending. Dead balls especially. It's a team that gives up lots of dangerous plays on dead balls. We saw Weston McKinney in that CONCACAF Nations League final time after time have his way with whomever was there. Whether they went up 1v1 or was a mixed zone, they tried to put a pick in front of him, tried to put somebody to disrupt his movement. He won every single time. What was a strength under Juan Carlos Osorio is all of a sudden uh, this Achilles heel for the Mexican national team. So yes, that worries me in itself about the, their winning streak. Yeah, uh, sometimes it feels like the team focuses a lot on playing nicely, on performing, yes, to a higher level, but not being very effective. And I know Tata Martino likes el juego bonito, playing nice on possession, playing nice on ball. Usually, that's what Mexico tries to do as a team, but right now, I just don't know, with the World Cup qualifiers around the corner, if it's the, if it's the right moment to concentrate and focus on playing bonito nicely and not being more effective. Um, do you want to talk some stocks? Do you want to trade some stocks according to performances of some specific players during the international break? Who do you believe, Hercules Gomez, whose stocks are up? after this international break. Listen, nobody came out on top like Diego Lainez. 966 days since his last goal for a club team. 966, I know what you're saying. He's playing a little bit more with Real Betis. He's doing a lot more for Pellegrini. He's playing better, but still 966 days without a goal. And what happens? Uh, he only makes the list because Eric Gutierrez and Jonah Dos Santos were pulled from injury. Gets into the Nations League final, so he plays against Iceland. Does very well against Iceland. But hold on! Not only does he do well against Iceland, gets an assist, he comes on in the latter stages of that final versus the U.S. men's national team. And it absolutely terrorizes Tim Ream. If somebody, if anybody, was a bright spot in what was these three games for Mexico, it's Diego Linus. There is no bigger winner from being out on the outs for what is Tata Martino. And Tata Martino not even giving you any attention to all of a sudden being the first name on that call sheet. Right now, everybody's thinking Diego Linus. He's the obvious winner for me.
You know what brings a smile to my face? Do you know when I first bought stock on Diego Lainez, Herc? I think you know this <laughs> very well. You know how, you know, you know what I had to pay for Diego Lainez's stock when, like three years ago? I'm gonna be a millionaire with this kid because yes, his stock is going high, of course. And there's a reason for that, Herc. I find actually several reasons, but one in specific, his growth in the past year has been fantastic. He looks stronger. He understands the game better. He's making better decisions. That was a big question mark on Diego Lainez. He always tried, he always tried to do things by himself. Yeah. Now he takes a little more time with the ball. He's finding the right lanes. He's giving the right passes. And that was a big criticism on him. He always tried to be the hero. And that really was not playing on his favor. But Herc, I'm a happy man because you know when I bought stocks, on Diego Linus, and that's gonna make me. I know a when very, you bought stock on Diego Linus, and you may man. have bought too high with your words on that <laughs> one. Uh, listen, Diego Linus having a fantastic uh, few weeks, if you will, and let's hope he translates this into club because he's definitely a player that Mexico no. needs to bank on if they're going to be successful in the future. All right, a couple of years ago, a lot of people bought stocks on Tata Martino. Do you agree now that after this three games, his stocks are down? Oh my. I don't think there's anybody who has a worse stock or a more fallen stock than Tata Martino. Tata Martino, who could do no wrong, who touted out, I mean, just winning streak after winning streak, just routing teams, whether it was local here in CONCACAF, whether it was South American or European competition, to now all of a sudden getting inside of his own head, changing from a line of four to a line of five in the back, Putting players like Auriel Antuna as a wingback who's never played there, he's never tried that, in moments like a semifinal in the CONCACAF Nations League and in the final of what was uh, that U.S. Men's National Team Mexico game, that all-time classico that will go down, he gets himself red-carded. His team is all of a sudden very suspect in defending. His team looks very average, very independent on what is 1v1 abilities. It's no longer a team, and that's on Tata Martino. Tata Martino, in his own head, and all of a sudden, public feud, if you will, with what is Javier Hernandez, all of a sudden, he went from being the most loved character in Mexican soccer to somebody who's on the outs right now. What is he doing? Why is he doing it? Why isn't he calling upset players? Lots of questions being asked of Tata Martino. I've been a great believer. I was going to say I was, but I'm still, I still am a great believer on Tata Martino. And it was maybe me or a lot of members of the media that everything Martino did seemed, seemed right, yeah. seemed correct. Everything mm -hmm. he said, all of his decisions, the way he picked the lineups, everything seemed like it was going on the right direction. But this past month, there have been several incidents that concern me highly, deeply. The handling of Javier Hernandez's case has been horrific, and it can even get worse if something comes up a little bit later today. But also, performance on the field. I don't want the Mexican national team to win every single game, but at least I want to see an idea. And I don't know, Herc, coming off those past performances, if it is clear what Tata Martino wants of this team. I don't know anymore. I don't think you can say he's got a clear idea. And it can't be Raul Jimenez Dependencia. You're dependent on one player. One player not being there changes your scheme, changes your strategy completely. And that's what it looks like. It looks like a very average team for a very good group of players. This is El Gigante de CONCACAF, which all of a sudden looks toothless. All right, moving on. Hector Moreno, stuck up or stuck down? 
stuck down. And, and listen, I, I was a fan of Hector Moreno. I'm still a fan of Hector Moreno, but this is more ring rust. And what I mean is he's going on three, four months where he's been looking for a club where he hasn't played. He was, uh, if, if memory serves me right, in the Qatar area playing down there uh, in Emirates. Not the highest level, hasn't played 33 years of age. He's going to go to Rayados right now. But if there's anybody who looked average in the last few games, and I'm talking about Honduras semifinal, and I'm talking about U.S. men's national team final, it's Hector Moreno. He looks not one, but two steps off. He looks a shadow of his former self. Was never, never a guy that was overly quick, overly fast, but he was so good on the ball. He was so smart. They touted him as the next Rafa Marquez. He's looked a shadow of himself uh, since then. His stock has gone down, yes. Yeah, only good news for him is that he signed with Rayados de Monterrey. So he has a chance to be fit again, to find his rhythm again. And I believe he's still going to be important for Tata Martino. Uh, what about, and this is going to be the hot topic for a long time now, number nine position, Henry Martin and Alan Pulido her stuck up, stuck down. Uh, when was the stock up? When was the stock up with the national team? Because <laughs> since 2015, <laughs> since 2015, they've combined for three goals on the Mexican national team. Now listen, Tata Martino said, please do not disrespect my nines. Put some respect on their name, right? That's what he said. Then what does he go and do? Disrespects his nines. You're not good enough to play over Chucky Lozano as a nine, even though he's not a nine. Do you want to know why? Because at this level, you don't put the ball in the back of the net. They've had their chances. They've had their opportunities. They've not taken advantage of it. And that, my friends, opens the door to other players, to other possibilities, like a Funes Mori, like a Javier Hernandez, or like a Chucky Lozano, who doesn't play the nine position, even a Rodolfo Pizarro, who he's tried in that false nine position. Yeah, I would only add to that that I honestly do not believe neither Henry Martin or Alan Pulido right now are national team players. Their performances with the national team have been subpar, and they've had their chances, and they just probably let that slip. Speaking of Javier Hernandez and Rogelio Funes Mori, there's going to be a, a, a provisionary list for the Gold Cup roster, a preliminary Gold Cup roster, and uh, ESPN reports are saying that both Chicharito and Rogelio Funes Mori are going to be included. Let's focus on Javier Hernandez. What does it say about that, that he's going to be part of this preliminary roster? I don't really know what it says. I mean, how could you not call him for the friendlies, not call him for what was the Nations League? Not, he's not in the plans, and every time we hear Tata Martino, it sounds like an excuse. There's evidently a public rift with Javier Hernandez and Tata Martino, whether you'd like to believe that is due to his overall play in the last few years or to what is disciplinary uh, situation that happened in New York that a member of the Mexican Federation lost his job for, or if you believe that he is blacklisted because he was trying to better the working services, that bonus structure, if you will, of the Mexican national team players, and he is being blacklisted by the Federation, and Tata Martino is a shield for the Federation. Whatever you like to believe or whatever you think is going on, it is now public. There is something there. This just seems like it's being thrown out there to, hey, Mao, hey, Herc, keep quiet. Look, he's on the list. Settle down, everybody. That is a big problem. I mean, if that's the reason why Chicharito would be included in this, on this list, I have several questions. First of all, why do you need a 60-player list? If there's a 60-player list, I'm going to go check if my name is included. I'm going to go to the P section, Pedrosa Mauricio, maybe I am there. But how do you include Javier Hernandez on that list and then tell him, listen, 
you're not that good. You might be one of the 60 best players in Mexican soccer right now, but you're not good enough to play the Gold Cup. I think it would be absolutely disrespectful by Tata Martino if that actually happens and all points are, or all things are pointing at, that's exactly what's going to happen. So we'll have to wait and see how this plays out because the riff's still going on and it's not looking pretty. It's not going well. No. Uh, the other big question is Rogelio Funes Mori. If he makes this list, what does that mean for the national team? Well, it's where I was going to go with Javier Hernandez. Before, we would compare Javier Hernandez sporting-wise to what is Alan Polido, to what is Henry Martin, to what was Santiago Ormeño, who is now with the Peruvian national team, JJ Macias, the list goes on and on. You compare them and what they've done in the sporting on the field section. But that's not the case right now. So if that's not the case and he's not going for sporting reasons, all right, we need somebody who compete with these other guys. Rogelio Funes Mori, by the way, in the last year has won a Liga MX title, okay? He's won a Copa MX mm -hmm. title. He's won a CONCACAF yep. Champions League. He's played against Liverpool and scored in the Club World Cup. He's coming off scoring nine goals this season and also this season made himself the highest goal scorer in Monterrey, Rayados in Monterrey's history. He's 29 years of age. He's a much more complete player and better player than any player I just named on that list. That's what it means. Tata has his nine. Tata has a player who he feels he can trust. Uh, at this point, I just, I just think you can't go wrong by picking either Javier Hernandez or Rogelio Funes Mori. In an ideal world, right? If you think of World Cup roster, you need three number nines, three center forwards. Your number nine would be Raul Jimenez. And then I'm okay if you, if you also name Rogelio Funes Mori and Javier Hernandez. I believe Rogelio Funes Mori has earned the right to be called up for the Mexican national team. He's been crucial for Monterrey to just explain everything he's accomplished there. And I think he deserves a shot. We'll see if Tata Martino actually believes that's the case and will be a part of that Gold Cup roster. Let's just remember that it's likely that Henry Martin will be the number nine who will go travel play for the Olympic team in Tokyo 2020. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We've, we've talked a lot about how the chant, that homophobic chant, has been a part of the Mexican national team games recently. Herc spoke with the Mexican uh, Federation president, Mikel Arreola, and he had to say this about that topic. Unfortunately, uh, we've seen continued use of the homophobic yeah. chant in what is the CONCACAF Nations League final. We've seen it in other friendlies from Mexico here in the United States. How is Liga Mekis personally combating this? We have a protocol and uh, we are not free of that expression. However, we have been uh, managing that expression, controlling that with our protocol. If that happens, we stop the game. And uh, if we restart and happens again, that's a, a second call for attention. And the third, you suspend the game. I think uh, now that we are working so closely with uh, the Mexican Federation, uh, with John De Luisa, 
that we have to work together from here to the World Cup because we don't want to be affected in our competition towards the qualification to the World Cup. Well, you, you never, you cannot be sure uh, all the time, no. But you have to be ready. To you have to be ready to prevent it and to combat it when it happens. So we have managed. We had our liguilla uh, during the last month, and we didn't have that problem. But we are willing to educate our fans, but our fans also here in the states because we are having the problem here in the states with the Mexican national team. So we offer our help to, to our federation. Why do you think you have the problem here in the States, but not in Mexico and Liga Mekis? I think it's communication. We have to communicate this uh, jointly with the Mexican federation. Uh, we have to keep working in that communication with the media also. Uh, in order to prevent it, we have to be very clear. If our fans continue doing this, they can affect the national team in terms of the qualification to the World Cup. And that's very serious. So we have to keep communicating the fans. And my apologies, Mikel Arreola is the president of Liga MX. John DeLuis is the president of the Mexican Soccer Federation. So you spoke with him and you saw the commitment. And there have been many efforts by clubs, Herc, in the Liga MX trying to eradicate that chant. Do you believe those efforts have been successful? Isolated efforts. If you look at Tigres and what they did a few years ago, you don't hear that chant, uh, ese grito, that homophobic chant, if you will, or that it is, I should say, uh, in El Volcan, in Tigres' stadium. There's a reason for that. And this is what worries me, is I asked Mikel Arriola why we hear it here in the States for the Mexican National Team Games, but he seems to think they've eradicated the problem in Mexico. It worries me that we're going to start labeling this a U.S. problem. Those fans that go to the Mexico games aren't fans, and the majority of them aren't fans that come across the border from Mexico. They're Mexican fans that live here within the United States. So we're going to start labeling this as an American problem. These are Americans. That is worrisome to me for so many reasons. And you could say what you want about it being cultural. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that. You're choosing to purposely go out and disrespect somebody, to know the, the cause and the harm and the effect that this word, word has on so many and saying, I don't care. Yep. I am ignorant to that fact and I don't care how it makes you feel. I don't care at all and I'm going to continue to do this. So it's just a problem that I really don't know what to say about anymore. I think we've exhausted all options on, on, on talking about this. It's just sad. Yeah, we just saw what Tigres tried to do in 2017 and there was a campaign, a promotion, and then the fans reacted properly by saying Tigres instead of the homophobic chant. Uh, Club America has also done their part. And I believe that in Liga MX, uh, the chant is, is not as often as it happens in the Mex Mexican national team here in the U.S. But, Herc, we also have to talk about CONCACAF and their role on eradicating the chant. Do you believe the protocol worked? Because we saw it in the games against Costa Rica and the U.S. Not until the 85th minute they activated the protocol, but the chance came way earlier than that. The chance came, and what bothers me is that CONCACAF will only admit that the chant was going on if it was loud. If they are faint chants, faint homophobia is okay. 
That's no worries. It's when it's loud that's going to be worrisome for us. It's when our cameras hear it. So that's the message that is transmitted around the world that it's worrisome for us. No, it's not working. This isn't, hasn't been something that's been going on post-pandemic. Years and years and years. The 2018 World Cup in Russia, we were both there. They had fan ID. So if you were identified as being part of this homophobic chant, you could get kicked out not only of this game, you may even get kicked out of the country. Until there is actual accountability, until CONCACAF itself docks points, uh, prohibits fans, uh, you know, for, for life from these stadiums, until those things happen, we will continue to see these things happen. And that is the sad part. So you can't come with CONCACAF has got it under control, uh, that we have it under control in this country or in Mexico until yeah. we just don't see it anymore. Yeah, um, it doesn't matter if the protocol is really well designed, if it's not used properly, then it's completely pointless yeah. to have a protocol in place for this matter. All right, Herc, the mad soccer summer moves on. Copa America kicked off in Brazil. Copa America, by the way, that almost doesn't happen, but it started anyway. Brazil beat Venezuela, who had 13 players testing positive for COVID-19. They found a way to play with, by the way, the green light by Conebol. Brazil won that game 3-0, but let me ask you this. Should Venezuela have played this game against Brazil? Let me start off by saying how crazy this is. I mean, look, Joseph Martinez, Jefferson Soltelo, Cáceres Jr., Jose Martinez, Aristirigueta, plays in Liga MX, Junior Moreno. Lots of players in both leagues, Liga MX and what is Major League Soccer. In this game for Venezuela, uh, 13 cases. They were flying players in the night before from the Venezuelan League to try to get this game going. You could field 23 players on a game day roster. They only had enough for 17. Three of those players played in their last World Cup qualifier. It was a brand new team to no fault of their own. This is a this is a health problem. We're in a pandemic. Should forget about Venezuela playing in this match. This went from Colombian civil unrest, let's take it out of Colombia, to let's take it of Argentina yeah. because of the positive cases going around in the country. In a country that's just as bad when it comes to positive uh, cases or COVID cases in Brazil, that their own players, the own national team players in Brazil, were willing not to participate in this in this event. It baffles me that we're talking about this going on right now. Venezuela, a casualty. Who will be next? Uh, same here. I feel the same way you do. And I would add just one more thing because we're, we're asking Venezuela to do something about it, right? Either right. you have to bring players from your country that were not called up. What about Conmebol? Is, isn't exactly that why we have confederations who are supposed to be decision makers? Because there were tests ran before the game you can also put Brazilian players at risk. Uh, I mean, fortunately, nothing other than that has happened. But why should be on Venezuela's shoulders to make that decision? Shouldn't Conrebol take a step forward and say, listen, it's not healthy. We have to, we have to uh, be very, very cautious on this topic. Why are we leaving the teams to make that decision here and not Conrebol? Because of the money. Because of the money, this tournament has to be played. <laughs> and they've you, looked sir. at various various countries to try to get this going. Yeah. Brazil ended up being the country that says, you know what, we will help out and make some money. We will do this. The U.S. was also in consideration. And maybe the U.S. could have pulled it off because of the infrastructure, the stadiums that are already he here. But you're talking about putting a more congested schedule into what is already a, a tournament where you have Gold Cup going to happen and now Copa America in the same country and we're still in a pandemic. People need to be mindful and need to realize 
We're in a pandemic. Things are getting better, but you can't just all of a sudden do something like this and expect there to not be consequences. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Shocking scenes out of Copenhagen when Christian Eriksen collapsed after suffering what we now know was a cardiac arrest. We are, we are happy to learn that Eriksen is in better spirit. His health is improving day by day. But what do you make of what the players said and what they had to go through her after something like that happened? Yeah, you mentioned while we were doing the rundown meeting about Peter Schmeichel, Casper's dad, who's a Denmark icon, and his appearance on Good Morning Great Britain, how the players were pretty much given an ultimatum. They could either play immediately after, finish the 15 minutes, um, they could play the next day at noon, or they could not play and forfeit the match. And it had to be, the decision had to be made in the, decision, or in the heat of the moment, like Casper just said. So be, before I go in, let me just say incredible scenes uh, after this unfortunate incident happens, yeah. scenes of bravery and compassion. Simon Kiar, the, the captain of Denmark, to secure the neck, to put him on his side, to get his tongue out so he doesn't swallow it, so Christian Eriksen doesn't swallow his tongue, to then perform CPR until the first responders could arrive, to instructing his teammates to create a wall, a human wall, to cover from where were these horrific scenes so his family his wife and kids and family and parents, if they're watching and the fans around the world, wouldn't see this horrific moment. It's just amazing. Just amazing scenes. And I, I can't speak volumes of, of the human compassion that was shown in that moment. But staying on that element of the human compassion to force these players to have to choose in the heat of the moment. For UEFA, who was all high and mighty, who was all, let's keep our sport pure and against the European Super League. So all of a sudden say, you know what, this would be a logistics nightmare. Forget about their feelings. Forget about this. Forget about us witnessing Casper uh, Schmeichel and Simon Kiar consoling Erickson's wife pitch side. Forget all that. Let's ask these guys what they want to do now because we can't for one minute compromise our wallets. It's disgusting. It's disgraceful. I, I literally went and ran some errands. And when I opened up my phone, I realized the game had been played. And I said, what? This game was played? Yeah. Beside myself, I could not imagine. You can see the scenes of the Danish players warming up with tears in their eyes. Mauricio, actual tears in their eyes because one of their teammates, a brother to them, is in a life and death situation. And they're being asked to go perform. Obviously, you saw the game and how it ended, the goalkeeping error, that you could only imagine what these players were thinking. And it was... Just unacceptable. And what is unforgivable is that the social channels for UEFA actually posted that the Danish players demanded to go back on the pitch when it was clear that they were giving no choice. They had to go back and play the game. And again, as I asked regarding Venezuela and Copa America and Conmebol, why are the players the ones that have to decide what happens next? 
That's why we have federations. That's why we have executives, because they are supposed to be in power to make those conscious decisions, not players who just saw their teammate going on the ground and not knowing what was going to happen. It was a complete disgrace the way that was handled. Yeah. The tournament moves on. All that matters is Ericsson's health, and we'll be keeping an eye yeah. on not, that. Not just so much the Danish players, as well as the Finnish players. Robin Ludd, who plays in Minnesota sure, United. Sure. I mean, yeah. they were witness to that as well. Just asking these people to continue on with their lives as if nothing has happened uh, was uh, mind-boggling. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we now welcome to his show, our <laughs> friend Sebastian Salazar. I don't know if it's the first time you've been introduced in your own show, Sebi. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. I, I got to say, maybe I shouldn't admit this out loud. I like watching the show much more when I'm not involved, and I'm sure there's some of our viewers that would probably agree with that. <laughs> Great work out there, Zach. Keep it going. No, I agree with them. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man, this is your show. I'm just keeping the seat warm. Don't worry about it. Uh, we're like a big family, you know? Juan Carlos Osorio's rotation. All right, the U.S. women's national team played Jamaica. They dominated the game, Sebi, 4-0. And we have to start with Carly Lloyd scoring early. Absolutely. Getting off to a great start. Just 24 seconds into the match. Spectacular stuff from Carly. Oh, it's a nice little touch and finish. Not easy when you're in the box. A million things cross your mind, but cool, composed, and collected. Look at this, 38 years old. 332 days, the oldest goal scorer in US soccer history. And then from the spot, Lindsey Horn, Herc, uh, Sebi, making it quick, 2-0. Absolutely, and the third wasn't far behind. This is Margaret Midge Purse. She's from Silver Spring, Maryland. Shout out Montgomery County. Yeah, that's where I'm from. No you big just deal. Gave Maryland a shout out. On is that what you're doing? Yeah. She also went to Harvard, so I mean, super impressive, right? I mean, well, kinda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, it's Savvy's show, and he can do whatever he pleases. Herc, please stop. My bad. Uh, my bad. After 21 minutes, the game was pretty much over. But then, an injury time. Alex Morgan scoring the fourth for the U.S. Women's National Team to complete the tally 4-0. And fuego! The result for the U.S. Women's National Team, absolutely, and fuego. And just as Herc said, Carly Lloyd, oldest ever goal scorer for the U.S. Women's National Team. The second fastest goal in, his, in team's history, 23 seconds into the game. That's a 41-game unbeaten streak for the U.S. Women's National Team. So, Sebi, we spoke about Carly Lloyd. How do you rate her performance? Listen, we've had Julie Foudy come on this show, and it's no secret, as big a name as Carly Lloyd is, she is fighting for one of those last Olympic roster spots. And one of the things that Julie said was that Carly Lloyd was going to need to start scoring in order to make this team. Now, I wasn't so sure of that, because I've been in some meetings with Vladko Andonovsky, and he talks about all the other off-the-ball stuff that she does, and he places a really high value on it. But what I would say is 
If Carly Lloyd is scoring in the run-up to the tournament, there's no way you can leave her off, right? It's one of those players that is such a presence, such a personality, and let's be honest, in some of these big moments, as this team goes through its generational shift, you want somebody that's been there before, and few players have been through as much in their careers and with this U.S. women's national team as Carly Lloyd. So I don't think that goal necessarily buys her the Olympic roster spot automatically, but it's a big help. And there's three more games to go, right? One against Nigeria, two against Mexico. Opponents she could easily keep scoring against. If she's hot, you are not leaving her off the team heading to the Olympics. I mean, she's hot right now scoring goals. She's historic in terms of the age, her age and her scoring goals. Why did I notice Carly Lloyd being combative? Uh, Listen to this. Being old is is not so bad after all. Um, I broke Christine Lilly's record, um, but you know, for me, it's it's just about you know grinding away, being better. Um, it's a cool record to have. I told Rose, you know, sitting on the bench, that she just assisted a record of mine, and she was like, "What record?" And I said it was a record for being the oldest player to score uh, in U.S. soccer history. So she gave me a funny look. Um, but no, just honored and, and just grateful to, to be here, to be repping the jersey and, and just want to keep doing anything I can to, to help the team out. Thanks, Carl. Let's go to Jonathan Tannewald. Go ahead, Jonathan. Thank you, Aaron. I'm curious. The one who thinks bit, I uh, won't make the roster, right? I haven't said that. Yep. <laughs> Believe me, I read it. I see everything. You got a hometown, hometown dude that can never support me, but go ahead. All right, Seb. So what's up with Carly getting defensive about her when people question her involvement with the Mm -hmm. national team? Mm -hmm. Look, that's just Carly Lloyd being Carly Lloyd. Let me tell you guys a story. I was lucky enough to cover the 2016 Olympics in Brazil for NBC. And right after the U.S. goes out in the quarterfinals against Sweden, the first player I talked to on the field was Carly Lloyd, and she gave me a great soundbite. She said, we're going to be back here in 2020, and we're coming for gold. As a reporter, you guys know what I do, right? I scramble to Twitter put out the tweet with the quote, and over the next few hours, people are retweeting it, commenting on it. Somebody in the comments, straight replying to my tweet, not my tweet, replying to my tweet said something to the effect of, yeah, right, she'll be 37, 38 by the time of the Olympics. Lucky to make the roster, definitely not a starter. Carly found that response, quote tweeted it, and said something to the effect of, it's people like you who keep me going. So this is really... Carly Lloyd's ethos, it's who she is. She has not had an easy career. She really truly has had to fight for her position within this team, fight to maintain it. There have been doubters along the way. And if you are one of those doubters, Carly Lloyd will find your doubt. She'll pin it on her refrigerator and it will fuel her. And it's fueled her, guys, we have to say, to an amazing, remarkable career. Yeah, it's absolutely motivation. So she's still fighting for a spot. Who, Sebi, do you believe has already punched their ticket for Tokyo? Well, if I'm going off last night's performance, right, the the obvious name that jumps out to me is Margaret Purse, Midge Purse, who we saw there score the third goal in the 4-0 win over Jamaica. You've heard Julie talk about it on this show. You've heard me talk about it on this show. When we're referring to the Olympics, you can only take 18 players. So that means for Vladko Andonovsky, the U.S. manager, when you get down to players, let's say, 13 through 18, they almost have to be... Plurifuncional. They have to have more than one role because you need to be able to use them in different ways. Most of what we've seen from Purse at the international level has been as a right back, and we saw that from her later in this game against Jamaica. 
but to start the game, we saw her effectively as a right wing, and she gets the goal there in the 22nd minute. So this is a player who can play in the attack. She does so for her NWSL team, Gotham FC, where she's a teammate of Carly Lloyd's, and I think proving that she can play both of those two positions, which are not even on the same line, right? We're talking about a really super versatile player. To me, seeing not just that, that she proved it, but that Vlatko Andonovsky asked that of her this close to the tournament, to me says he's got big plans for Purse. I think she's going to make the Olympic roster when it's all said and done. Looking to make Man, history. What, what a tough job, right? <laughs> yeah. What a tough job to pick to pick this spot, to pick the roster for the Olympics. Hey, Sebi, uh, let me say, let me put it this way. It's great to have you on your own show. Please come back again anytime soon. <laughs> I will, I will. Uh, Mauricio, I'm, I'm eternally indebted to you. You have, uh, you've truly saved us a few times here on Football Americas, and, and I know you have to deal with Irk in Spanish. Bless you, bless you for yeah. doing double duty and doing it in English, too. You, you traded guys me for Burley. Brother, I get paid for this. <laughs> I get paid for this. Don't worry. It's my, it's, it's my job. Sevi, you're killing it in the Euros. Keep doing that, keep and I'll up, keep brother. the seat warm. Bye, Sevi. Thank you. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. A lot of action. We'll be back with Herc, and I'll be keeping Sebastián Salazar's seat absolutely warm. For her, mention Mal, us. We want to hear from Thanks you. Thanks for watching. We got questions. For Send them and listen yes. to the podcast. Yes. Oh, listen to the podcast. It's going to be just as good as the show. I promise. We'll see you Thursday on Football Americas. Thank you for joining us.